Oh, g'day folks and welcome to episode number two of Plane Crazy Down Under, the aviation podcast looking at the world from an Australia-Pacific point of view. From the southeastern fringes of Melbourne, Australia, I'm Steve. And from the not-so-fringe part of Melbourne, I'm Grant. Welcome to episode two. Yes, we've made it through to another one. We're serious folks, we're not one-shot wonders. Well, it's been a very, very busy uh, news week here in Aviation Grant, so I think without further ado, we should uh, get right down to our first article. Yeah, let's get on with it, mate. And Grant, our first story this week is talking about Singapore Airlines and uh, they're stepping up their services into Australia, particularly adding extra th- A380 services Wow! on the kangaroo route, as it's called. Uh, take that, Qantas. Here, have more Singapore girl. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And here's an article uh, in the Australian newspaper by Steve Creedy. It says Qantas faces renewed competition on the kangaroo route after Singapore Airlines announced yesterday it would fly a daily Airbus A380 Super Jumbo service to Melbourne. Wow. The decision to make the Victorian capital its sixth A380 destination, increases the Singaporean carrier seat capacity into Melbourne by 10% and also makes Australia the first Singapore Airlines market to boast dual super jumbo ports. Oh, we are special. We are special and uh, gee whiz, I wouldn't mind a ride on myself. The A380 has proved popular with passengers who in many cases will book a flight on one of those in preference to other aircraft. Now that's really interesting. i got to jump in here because a friend of mine is doing everything he can to avoid flying on the Qantas A380s. He's got his agent's trained to put him on any other flight but an A380. He doesn't want to be on it yet. He said it's too new, it's too freaky, no thank you. And he's, mind you, he's even starting to try and avoid A330 flights, but anyhow. (laughs) Well, he clearly needs help. Uh, so yeah, it says here Qantas also flies the A380 into Melbourne, but only twice a week, and uh, it flies it to LAX, doesn't fly it up into Asia. Singapore says that its new Melbourne service will offer good connections for people wanting to fly the Super Jumbo to London and on to Paris. Uh, it flies the A380 in a 471 seat, three class configuration, featuring the widest business class seats in the air, first class seats, and redesigned economy seats. I wonder if anyone's sitting in them. Well, we've talked about this, uh, you know, uh, I think we talked about these sort of issues last week, and uh, certainly premium traffic is falling for everybody else, so I guess it would only follow that uh, Singapore Airlines would be yeah. no exception. Indeed. Oh, well, this is, so this is starting in September 20- and replacing the daily 747-400 they've been flying. And they are a very, very high-quality airline. They, they generally rock Qantas in their socks, especially lately. Given that Singapore have been forced to reduce capacity and cut routes and so on, it is quite interesting to see them putting a, um, a jumbo in. They must be seeing a lot of traffic on the Melbourne route. But it's good. Um, I mean, I'm out on the f- uh, on the field most mornings when we're launching balloons and 7.30 in the morning, there goes that Qantas A380. It's a big aircraft, even on when it's still a couple of minutes from landing. <laughs> it's still big in the mm, air. I have yet to see one. Unfortunately. 7.30 in the morning, mate. Uh, Just be awake. Yeah, yeah. I'm never awake that early in the morning. I'm a night shift worker, remember? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, it's interesting, Steve, that Singapore Airlines are increasing their uh, capacity into Melbourne and Australia in general because British Airways are going to cut their flights to Australia. Uh, According to Steve Creedy, yet yet again, one of our favourite journalists, Steve's Steve's writing in The Australian saying that British Airways is reducing its capacity to Australia by 5% by cutting some flights over the northern winter, but says it remains committed to the market. Uh, The article goes on to talk about how Qantas joint venture partner British Airways 
currently offers two daily flights between London and Sydney using a 747 on one service and a 777 on the other. And apparently they're going to replace the 777 with a 74 service, but reducing flights to daily frequency on some days. So obviously um, BA are doing some juggling here and cutting and so on. Um, not uh, surprising because they've so far grounded 16 aircraft and seeking to shed up to 4,000 staff. So BA are finding it hard at the moment. Yeah, BA, they do a lot of co-chair work, I think, don't they, with Qantas? It's, uh, I think yes. it says they're a joint venture. So um, I wonder how that's going to affect how many passengers are actually coming down here on Qantas aircraft uh, on a BA co-chair. Yeah, I think they're talking about uh, the number of people who aren't going up to the UK during winter when it's cold. Well, it's always cold in England, though, isn't it? Well, there is always that. They're having a heat wave of 25 degrees, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it says here that uh, their spokesman, Sam Hine, I guess not a spokesman, Grant, he's a manager. Yes. Uh, he's yes. quoted here as saying that London is still and will remain for many, many years ahead, uh, one of the financial centres of the world, and there is still demand for first-class travel. Well, there is. There is some demand for first-class travel, but from everything we've been hearing, uh, there's not a lot of demand for first-class travel. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the financial guys are no longer travelling in first class. They're lucky to have a job and to be in cattle class. Oh, well, I'm sure I'll be able to have some good conversations with them when I'm sitting in cattle class next week. (laughs) And Grant, sticking to the same theme of uh, capacity cuts and capacity increases, uh, we have an article here that was in the Northern Territory News this week, Garuda Airlines, which is the uh, flag carrier for Indonesia. Uh, They are looking at uh, cutting flights into Darwin, or in fact they have. Yeah, they've cut their only flight. They've cut their only flight. uh, The the airline's Northern Territory general manager, and uh, I will apologise in advance, Sharul, I think his name is, Tahir, was last night pleading with his head office to continue flying a twice-a-week service into the uh, Northern Territory service, into the Northern Territory now, so I guess it was two services. Uh, this report's coming from the Northern Territory News from Daniel Borsha. Uh, after nearly 30 years of flying to the Northern Territory, Garuda has... Uh, terminated that flight so they still fly into sydney and so on but uh interesting that they say further down that uh, it's because it's just no longer economically viable to run it due to the arrival of jetstar and uh, with its cut price fares and so on interesting that uh, that an australian airline can undercut a um, indonesian airline i've got to say it, it's it's quite surprising to yeah me. that's sure not something that you uh, see very often not only in the airlines but i guess with everything else when you're trying to compete with uh, the asian countries who generally do everything cheaper than what we can do it here. So we wish Mr. Tahir luck there with his endeavours. Uh, he's uh, certainly putting in the hard yards trying to maintain that service. It says here he's begun negotiations to see if there was any way to reverse the end of the Northern Territory flights. And he'd even spoken to the he'd spoken to the company's head office, the Indonesian consul, and the Asian relations minister Chris Burns. Yeah, he's trying to see what he can get from if Australia will help out Garuda, which would be interesting. Dr. Burns, the Australian rela- Asian relations minister, did say there was a lot of concern from government and res- residents about Garuda leaving Darwin. Not only is the Garuda connection important for trade and tourism, but it shows long-standing links between Indonesia and the Northern Territory. So naturally, they'd like them to maintain it. I think also another reason they'd like it to maintain that route is, of course, uh, competition means that Jetstar still has to maintain those low fares. Yeah, that's the exact point I was going to make. It'd be interesting to see once uh, you know this, this uh, cutback in capacity happens, uh, will Jetstar remain uh, as cheap as perhaps they have been? I haven't looked at fares up to Jakarta. Right. If you if there's no competition, why drop your fares? As soon as you're the only one flying it, put them back to where you're comfortable. There's no one else to go against you. So long as you're still cheaper than flying 
flying down to Sydney and up to Indonesia. You know? Yeah, so there's another there's something else for us to uh, keep an eye on and uh, follow up perhaps in future editions. And Grant, now moving away from capacity cuts to a certain extent, uh, we reported last week that Virgin Blue and Delta had uh, set up an interline agreement where uh, they were going to be, I guess, co-chairing across the Pacific from the west coast of the US into the east coast of Australia. Uh, our friends Tiger Airways are apparently not happy about this. There's an article in the uh, couriermail.com.au this week by Jeff Easdown. Uh, reads, Tiger Airways is planning to disrupt Virgin Blue's deal with Delta Airways to share planes and profits to stem their heavy losses on the Pacific route. The Singapore-based Tiger Airways intends to lodge formal objections with the Australian and US regulators about the proposed de facto merger of Virgin's V Australia with the US-based Delta, now the world's biggest airline. It's understood that other major carriers, including Air New Zealand and possibly the US-based United Airlines, are considering making similar objections with Australian and US authorities. Well, you... Well, it's hardly a surprise, I guess. Uh, To be honest with you, Grant... Tiger Airways complaining about this kind of mystifies me a bit. I can't see how that would in any way affect their operations. Well, yeah, I guess it's not such a big surprise that um, Tiger's getting all antsy about uh, V Australia and Delta getting into bed together because uh, a major shareholder in Tiger is, of course, Singapore Airlines. And uh, Singapore have been uh, quite interested in getting into the Pacific route. Um, admittedly, as per another article from Steve Creedy in The Australian, Singapore have diminished their enthusiasm uh, as a number of competitors um, have increased. But honest, honestly, I'm not surprised with Tiger doing this because if Singapore can find a way to destabilize it, it makes it easier for them to come into the market later. And uh, yeah, Singapore Airlines is a 49% shareholder in Tiger and Semitech, the uh, um, investment arm of the Singapore government, are uh, also a shareholder. So technically, you could say that Singapore has a majority share in Tiger. So yeah, no surprises here, mate. Yes, Singapore Airlines has made no secret of its inten- of its ambitions in the past to operate from the east coast of Australia or across the Pacific. Um, another strategy that uh, maybe they might like to employ is, uh, you know, make a little bit of noise here and say we're not happy. But then again, maybe if uh, this deal between Delta and uh, Virgin goes through, maybe that could set a precedent where they could say well you know you're letting this company do it now there's a precedent uh, if they can do it so can we yeah well of course the question then is who would Singapore get into bed with Air New Zealand are they part of the same alliance grant yeah actually you're right Steve uh, Singapore Airlines is uh, in a code share already with so to speak with Air New Zealand and United in fact all three of them are part of Star Alliance so uh, yeah that's going to get a very interesting um, little who's sleeping with who scenario across the Pacific coming up. Yeah, I think it said in, a, in a, one of the other articles uh, that we were covering, uh, there was a little line there about Delta Airlines now being the world's largest airline, which I found interesting. I know at one point, I don't know whether it's still a case, Singapore Airlines would not be uh, the largest airline on the on the planet, but uh, it's certainly one of the wealthier airlines on the planet. Yeah, they were doing pretty well there. Yeah, interesting in this uh, further in this article from Steve Creedy that there's rumours that Tiger may itself be uh, seeking cash. Uh, another story we'll talk about later in the podcast is Virgin Blue's uh, shares hold the, the, sorry, their share halt as they um, were seeking cash. It's all rather complex, but we'll talk about that one separately. But just interesting to see that Tiger may also be seeking more cash. Yes, and speaking, of course, of Tiger Airways, as promised, Grant, I uh, I did watch the TV show during the week. Oh, God. And, uh, you know, I have to, uh, I did say I'd uh, follow up and uh, 
Oh boy, I don't know. I tell you what, it's it certainly is a warts and all look at the way they do things. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say, without much contradiction here, that uh, Tiger doesn't seem to have any editorial input. It, it really, it, it really just serves to show what a what an ordinary experience the ultra low cost carriers can be. I think. You know, yeah. I, I think it's going to take a long time for people to adjust their mindset uh, in this country. It's it's probably well that's been around a little while. It's still a reasonably new concept over here. But you know, people come expecting a service. Um, Whereas uh, the ultra-low-cost carriers, uh, they expect you to come and stick your backside on a seat and don't bother us after that. Yeah, yeah. We're supplying you with a metro bus in the air. Mm. Uh, Having said that, I will watch this week's coming episode. (laughs) You're addicted. (laughs) (laughs) You're doomed. God help me. I certainly hope there's a uh, rehab centre for these sort of shows. (laughs) It's called the internet, mate. Just turn off the TV and come back to reality. (laughs) (laughs) Probably the probably the biggest story that we found around the uh, news items and articles uh, this week, Grant, uh, concerns Virgin Blue, and there's been a lot of talk around about them trying to raise some funds on the share market. Are they doing it? Are they not doing it? One minute we've got articles saying that where they're denying that they're doing it, uh, then we find that their uh, share trading was halted at some point. Now I'm not even going to begin to pretend that I know anything about the world of high finance. Just ask my bank manager. <laughs> But I will uh, just read an article here uh, that we found by Matt O'Sullivan in WA Today. And it says here, Virgin defers on call for funds. Virgin Blue has left open the door to a capital raising after taking several hours yesterday to issue a carefully worded statement denying speculation of an imminent announcement. The airline entered a trading halt early yesterday after the Herald reported that it was on the verge of announcing a raising of up to $400 million, only to emerge more than four hours later denying a potential rights issue was underway. Now, I can say that with some authority as if I knew what I'm talking about, Grant, but uh, gee whiz, I hope you know what it means. Yeah, what happened here was that uh, rumour got out that Virgin were going to be trying to raise extra money and it was reported in the papers. And what happens on the stock market is is that when rumours start to abound and the stocks start to, start to run either up or down, uh, they typically put a halt on trading so that people can, uh, everyone can get the news and everyone can uh, assess it, think about it, take a deep breath, and everyone's trading with the same information because it's not good for people to trade with or without that information. So what happened was that Virgin had to uh, halt the trading of their shares uh, after that report. And the general gut feeling from a lot of people in the market is that Virgin were on the edge of announcing that they were about to uh, raise a whole lot of money and that something went wrong and it all collapsed. As a result, they weren't able to say, yes, the Herald was right. They had to issue a report, a um, statement saying that, no, the Herald was wrong. However, the way they wrote it was not that, no, 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 we're not getting any money. It was actually more along the lines of, well, actually, you know, that particular method that the Herald was on about, we're not going to do that. So effectively, they've left the door open for um, a completely valid form of capital raising. And as we've found, as the whole story has unfolded over the course of the week and into this week, basically, um, Virgin is still going out there looking for money, it would appear. And in fact, it looks like they may be talking to some Middle East airlines and other sources of, of investment from the Gulf area. The, the whole situation is really tricky because you've got Richard Branson as a 25.5% shareholder. Uh, so he has a lot of swing. So is he going to increase his stake? We've got to watch out because if Virgin, if, if foreign ownership increases beyond 49.9%, uh, Virgin Airlines can no longer fly between Australia and the US. They lose a lot of rights because they're no longer an Australian airline. I think two, two interesting points there. You mentioned Sir Richard Branson and it, uh, it says here that uh, if uh, Virgin was to raise uh, the sort of capital that's been quoted here, then Richard Branson would probably have to invest more capital uh, to avoid a dilution of his holdings in the company. 
Correct. And to quote Adele Ferguson in an article in The Australian uh, called Virgin Goes to Golf for Cash, uh, she puts it uh, quite well. Put bluntly, Virgin has a lousy share register composition and its pitch for more cash is more about helping its operational businesses, some of which are making loss, rather than paying off debt. And its major shareholder, the omnipotent and brash Branson, is hardly a draw card for any would-be backer. They're ba- uh, saying that, yeah, it's the V Australia is, of course, running a bit of a loss, which is to be expected. It's just being set up. They're also experiencing some problems in New Zealand now that Jetstar are going against them in New Zealand, not Qantas, uh, being able to cut their fares even further. So, yeah, basically, it, it, Branson could go either way. Uh, he has sold a lot of his franchises like Virgin Records, Virgin Radio and Virgin Mobile because he still makes money from the franchising, the licensing fees. When he uh, originally set up this company, I think he had a, a much larger stake in this company, I'm pretty sure, and uh, Toll Holdings, which is a very large uh, road transport company in this country, they, they did up until uh, the last couple of years have a pretty big stake in it too although I think they've they've sold most of that off now yeah that went to Patrick Corporation um, who have been wanting to get rid of it I believe I could be wrong on that one but yeah I, I unfortunately unlike Dan I don't go into all the details of the numbers um, I I'm yeah, sorry, I should do more research on that before I open my mouth, but I believe that's the way it went. We do keep hearing catchphrases like Virgin is bleeding cash uh, left, right and centre over the setup costs for V Australia. Yeah, well, yeah, it's not hard to bleed cash in the airlines these days and uh, we all know the old joke, don't we? About starting up, uh, getting a small fortune in, uh, in airlines by starting with a big one. That's the one. I don't think I deliver that particularly well, but there you go. Okay, I thought I'd give you the line. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, The next article we're going to look at here uh, concerns the Royal Australian Air Force and their base at Richmond, uh, RAAF Richmond, which is uh, just northwest of uh, the city of Sydney. Uh, There's an article here that was in The Australian on uh, July 13th saying that the airlines are pushing for a second airport at the RAF base. Uh, Now, before I read this article, there is just a background there. There's been a push on for, what do you reckon, Grant, at least 20 years for a second uh, major airport in the Sydney area? Yeah, it's been really, really major for the last 10 to 15 years, definitely. Definitely, but they've been go- it's been going for a while. So this article, this article uh, as I said, uh, appeared in The Australian on July 13th. Airlines have warned the federal government that its policy of establishing a second Sydney airport outside of the Sydney Basin is flawed and are pushing for the facility to be located at the Richmond RAAF base. A new submission to the federal government by the Board of Airline Representatives of Australia calls for Kingsford Smith Airport, uh, which is Sydney International Airport, by the way, to remain the primary airport for the Sydney Basin with Richmond as the preferred site for a secondary airport. Uh, It goes on to say that it dismisses distant options such as Canberra, Goulburn, Orange, and another Air Force base at Williamtown near Newcastle, uh, as this would require massive investment in ground transport, and what they'd be talking about there most likely would be some sort of rail link which uh, cost billions yeah high-speed rail and uh, good roads and all that kind of stuff because although there is a, a expressway between sydney and newcastle it slows down a lot at russia yeah and uh, of course i work in the rail industry and uh, think uh, rail corp up there in new south wales has enough trouble maintaining the tracks that they've got much less trying to build any new ones <laughs> yeah they do have a lot of fun up there with their trains but uh, yeah it's interesting the concept of having a commercial airline at a raf base uh, everyone points to darwin as an indication of how can be done. Uh, Darwin, of course, is an RAAF base and also commercial airport. Not a perfect match. Uh, there is friction and hassles that people talk about. Um, on and off the record, but it is an indication it can be done. Of course, they can get away with it in a place like Darwin, which is uh, quite a small small city, and um, you know, I think 75 Squadron uh, is based up there, aren't they, with their Hornets? Yeah, there there's some at Tyndall. Um, I know Darwin gets pretty interesting when there's exercises and combined exercises going on, and there's uh, aircraft going everywhere. 
But issues that come up are uh, who's got responsibility for air traffic control. You need to have special areas for safing combat aircraft and weaponry and things like that. But you know, it's not impossible. I mean, heck, Don Muang International Airport, as it used to be over in Bangkok, had the military on one side, had the domestic on the other, and a bloody 18-hole golf course running up the middle. You know, I think uh, the United States Air Force, uh, their motto for building a new, an Air Force base, uh, I believe it goes something along the lines of, uh, you know, find a good golf course first and then build the Air Force base next to that. <laughs> that would not surprise me at all. Actually, incidentally, the golf course at uh, Don Muang is a wonderful place to go and play golf. You play your worst game because you're so busy focusing on the aircraft if you're a flying geek. And it's probably the only game of golf I'd ever enjoy. Mm. That has a potential. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, it goes on to say in this article, too, that uh, successive federal governments have been trying for, actually, it says here, for more than half a century to decide where a second Sydney airport should go. And, uh, yeah, uh, like I say, I mean, I've, I've been flying f- since uh, 1989, and I know they've been talking about an area called Badgeries Creek, which I believe is out to the southwest, I think, of Sydney. But uh, yeah, every man and his dog has got a protest group uh, to stop that happening. Now, Sydney's Kingsford Smith Airport, location-wise, it's good and it's bad. I mean, Sydney, Sydney Airport is right smack bang, virtually right in the middle of the city. It's right there. But Sydney being our biggest city, and it, it does get a, a heck of a lot of traffic coming in there, and it's it's also settled with some, uh, in my opinion, just ridiculous uh, noise abatement procedures. For instance, every, every I think every every suburb gets its day where it gets the aircraft flying over it, and uh, on some yeah. sort of rotational basis, it's just ridiculous. They also um, they also change the um, departure approach departure corridors depending on which government's in power. So yeah, they are looking for other places to go. I don't know whether, uh, although I've never obviously been to RAF Richmond, but uh, it, it doesn't appear to be uh, a big facility. It's um, uh, probably its its main aircraft. There is 37 Squadron. They they fly uh, C-130 Hercules aircraft. It's only got one major runway. Just looking at it on the uh, Google Maps. So yeah, it's a, it's got a two, it's got a two kilometer runway, single runway, 1028. In terms of a secondary airport where you're running 737s and things like that, and A320s and so on, that works. Uh, one of, one of the points that's made here is that um, and, and, and it probably does hold some weight. You know, people when they're talking about building new airports. You know, it's always the not in my backyard syndrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, people not wanting the noise more than anything else. Well, I guess uh, there's a point made here in this article that the people that live around that Air Force Base are already used to having that sort of noise. Now, whether or not they'd be happy to have considerably more of it, uh, that wouldn't bother people like granted myself, but uh, for the average person on the street, uh, it might start to become an issue. Yeah, uh, but uh, there's also the fact that a lot of people living around that area work in the base as well. So, yeah, look. Very interesting. It will be to see how this comes out. And uh, speaking of the RAF grant, there's a, uh, a great old warbird that's uh, just taken back to the sky. Yep, mate, something that brought a tear to my eye for sure. The Tamora Aviation Museum have uh, repaired, restored and returned to flying condition Australia's only Avon Sabre. The uh, CA-27, an Australian-built version of the F-86 Sabre, powered with an um, Avon engine, is now flying once again in Australia. And this is really big for me. Last time I saw a Sabre fly was at an air show at uh, Bankstown Airport in Sydney. And there was actually a uh, Sabre and a MiG doing a uh, Korean War reenactment. And absolutely beautiful a gorgeous aircraft, a favourite of many, and to see that back in the air again is just going to be awesome. The RAAF 
put it on loan to Tomorrow Aviation uh, Museum on the on the condition that uh, Tomorrow rebuild it and fly it on behalf of the RAF. So yeah, big kudos to the RAF and to Tomorrow for getting this to happen. It's like having a Spitfire. In fact, now two Spitfires flying at the Tomorrow Aviation Museum. Having this Sabre is just awesome. That's a place that I uh, another place that's on my list of places to visit one day. Tomorrow Aviation Museum. Um, yeah, it's uh, really got a fantastic collection up there, and having that Sabre up there, well, there's yet another reason to uh, pick the caravan. I think one weekend head up, head up there. Well, if you're wanting to see it on its first public flying, uh, it will be on display in the in September, I believe it is. The public will have their first chance to see the Sabre flying again at um, the next flying muse- uh, museum flying weekend on September the fifth and sixth this year. So, hmm considering trying to uh, save some money and twist a few fellow pilots' arms to go for a flight. Yes, uh, the words live broadcast come to Oh, <laughs> heck yeah. It would be a good practice for next time I'm working at Avalon Airshow. That's the, that's the fact. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now, that'll be built by... Uh that's a license built one obviously it's a CA-27 yes uh, the Commonwealth Aircraft Corporation built that there are a lot of great aircraft came out of the Commonwealth Aircraft Corporation and uh, doing some Google research will bring up a lot of notes for any airplane geeks that want to know more about the uh, Windshield, the Wirraway the CA-15 I think it was Mustang which was the Australian built version of the Mustang and of course the CA-27 which is this aircraft in particular the Australian version of the F-86 Sabre with that Avon engine in it absolutely beautiful aircraft and the Aussie version did pack a little bit more punch and so on. And uh, for anybody who wants some extra airplane geek information on there, it uh, actually says it spent 16 years on the ground before they've got it back in the air. Uh, this uh, Sabre is registered uh, Alpha 94-983 so uh, you might be able to look that up on some of the appropriate websites and uh, get all the information you need. It was uh, taken off the ground uh, for the first time after all, all those years by uh, Darren Crabb who it says here is an ex-RAAF flight instructor with uh, time in uh, FA-18 Hornets and Mackie Jets. Yep, he's currently a commercial jet pilot and is qualified to fly quite a number of jets, not just including the uh, the ones at tomorrow, including the A-37 Dragonfly. Yeah, so uh, the aircraft certainly would have been in very, very safe hands going up there, I guess, uh, doing a bit of a few shakedowns and getting all the bugs out and making sure that everything works properly. At, uh, there's actually, if you have a look, there's an article that came through on uh, AvWeb, uh, which has got a little embed there of a YouTube video showing a takeoff. Wow. That- Great, great, great stuff. That video is actually from the Tomorrow site. They've got a page. If you go to the Tomorrow Aviation website and look at their picture gallery, you'll go to videos, and they've got a whole stack of videos of the Sabre in action, including in-cockpit shots. Excellent. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, aviation would. I'm glad you said that. that Jack Hodson was very happy with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the the word that I uh, remember when um, Stephen Force, aka Steve Topper, uh, was twittering about having aviation wood, and I passed on to him the uh, concept of aeroneurophycosis, which is supposedly where the sufferer is sexually aroused by aircraft. It's actually a joke. It doesn't really exist. Uh, if you do a search on it, you find the Wikipedia page that talks about how it doesn't exist. Eventually, you may find the page on my blog where I joke about it. I've picked a uh, I've picked a thing out of the Sunday Herald Sun yesterday a comment about the New Zealand ads the Air New Zealand ads Robin Riley had a go of it. 
I clipped it out of the paper here. Basically, it says, it'd be interesting to know how many people have signed off on New Zealand's online advertising campaign, Nothing to Hide. Because, let's be honest, it was never going to fly. I would like to think there must have been some people who raised a hand and questioned the effectiveness and appropriateness of parading staff in body paint to promote the transparency of the airline's all-inclusive domestic fares. Was there not some debate that customers might be offended to see crew and grand crew staff so scantily clad? No. Yeah, apparently not, though. <laughs> After reading customer comments during the week, I think there may be a change in policy very soon. No doubt the online app will attract its share of online hits on YouTube. I just think the airline could have used a little more imagination. Yeah, Rob, I'm right. Go and get a life, anyway. <laughs> it's like the internet would disagree, lady. Okay, just a couple of quick ones here, Grant, just to finish off for this week. Uh, Follow-up to last week, uh, an article that we covered about a little um, snafu that Qantas had with um, granting some aircraft in Perth. Uh, Yeah, well, stranding passengers and basically telling them to nick off. Uh, Qantas uh, has come under attack for failing to support staff that were left to deal with angry passengers delayed by a lightning strike in Perth last week. The Australian Services Union says staff are still furious that they were left without enough up-to-date information to pass on to passengers and they were who was stranded when an Airbus A330 was struck by lightning on approach to Perth Airport last Friday. Uh, the aircraft, which is uh, due to operate a red-eye service to Melbourne early last Friday, was initially granted for an inspection, uh, but was further delayed when the strike proved more serious than first thought. Now, <laughs> uh, we covered that last week, as I said, and yeah. uh, there were some pretty angry people being told to, uh, you know, if, if you live in Western Australia, go home. Well, that's all right <laughs> if you live in Perth, but if you, you know, happen to live anywhere else, too bad. Indeed. Now, it's interesting to note with this article that, yeah, the, um, the staff are furious. Uh, they've been having problems in Perth Airport for quite a while, as we alluded to last time. The union's saying that, uh, their staff are saying it's uh, the facilities at Perth Domestic Airport are the worst I've seen in Australia, are more crowded, etc., etc. And she's saying that uh, basically um, management a major disconnect between management and the staff on the ground, which is interesting because it sounds like Qantas management need to take a uh, leaf from the Air New Zealand book where uh, senior management have to work occasionally on the front line. Uh, They have management actually out there working at call centres, working on check-in, hoisting bags on the uh, tarmac, and and not just a little fluff piece for the cameras, but actually they're fully trained to do the job and they go down and do the job for a day. So they get to experience what it's like to be part of the team on the front line. Yeah. I think everybody should understand that from time to time things are going to go wrong with an aircraft and uh, you know it may cause delays after that it's all in the way things are handled and if management were suddenly thrown into the fire like that uh, at, at the coalface and and got to experience what what frontline staff experience uh, that would be um, you know, that'd be quite a hopefully would would flow on to some uh, positive you know, improvements indeed it's it's interesting how our dirty hands can lead to opened eyes and mate last story for today and this is a corker in honor of Courtney's whiskey tango foxtrot section uh, this just has me in hysterics and and wondering what were these bozos thinking a report in the ABC News about drunken flight lands jockeys in hot water three jockeys have been fined and banned from racing for a month after taking beers onto a commercial flight as they return from a get this responsible drinking seminar (laughs) I mean this is this is unbelievable welcome to Australia mate these guys had been to Adelaide for a day's conference on responsible drinking. And what do they do? They jump on a regional express flight from Adelaide to Mount Gambia, smuggling 12 beers onto a one-hour flight, and were drinking them despite warnings from the flight attendant not to open them. Suffice to say, the Australian Federal Police were called to investigate the incident. I mean, (laughs) what a pack of bozos. What can I say, Grant? What can I say? I wonder how that affected the weight and balance on that aircraft, after all. Uh, they aren't, they're only flying Saab 340s over there at Rex. Do they have a toilet in them? Yes, well, 
there's <laughs> you could make a number of comments there, but suffice to say, people could use their imagination there. Yuck. Oh, mate, look, one of the jockeys apparently is still under investigation from CASA, the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, for allegedly failing to put on his seatbelt. Man, these guys are complete yobbos. Sounds like the next time they'll be going over to uh, do a responsible drinking course, it sounds like they'll be uh, towing them over there in the back of a trailer behind a Greyhound bus. No, yeah, but totally, mate. I just, I mean, responsible drinking. Yeah, responsible drinking in sportsmen. An oxymoron if ever I've heard one. And that's everything we have for you this week on the second episode of Playing Crazy Down Under. A very big thank you to everybody who, uh, first of all, downloaded our podcast last week for our maiden effort. Uh, and also a really great thank you to the uh, many people in the aviation podcasting world. Uh, Jack Hodson of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast, uh, Steve Tupper, obviously the guys from the Airplane Geeks podcast who've been, uh, particularly through Twitter, have been helping us to promote uh, what, we're, what we're doing here. Kind of puts the pressure on guys to... Uh, bring our production standards up but uh, yeah we really do appreciate that yeah indeed it's been it's been major majorly cool to have everyone commenting and uh, forwarding on all our tweets and things like that and retweeting and pointing everyone at us so yeah here we are we're at show number two we've doubled our quantity if this goes on we'll have 32 shows in another few weeks but no we'll we'll come down to just one a week or so now we will be taking a little bit of a break unfortunately uh, for, as far as the podcast goes because uh, I'm off overseas myself next week I, I'm, uh, I'm going on assignment in the name of the podcast so uh, the podcast will continue as will the Australia Desk segment for the uh, for the airplane geeks but it's just going to be a very interesting discussion about it because it's just going to be me myself and I I will try and have straight guy and weird guy conversations but it might get a little odd and I might try and do a report I will be flying uh, on a couple of airlines that uh, we've mentioned on our podcast and um, also on the airplane geeks podcast those being V Australia Virgin Blue and Southwest oh you're not flying on time Tiger. Oh. No, sadly, I uh, just overlooked that website. Our uh, sound effects and music on this podcast are provided by soundsnap.com, so we thank them very much for that. And our logo image is one of the photos that uh, Stephen Pam took of himself and the two of us while we were doing a uh, while we were doing an uncontrolled airspace uh, meetup lunch out at Moorabbin Airport. So thanks to Stephen for letting us use the photo. So that's all the thank yous out of the way. I guess there's nothing else left to say except we will see you all next week on another episode of Playing Crazy Down Under. I'm Steve Bisher. And I'm Grant McCarran. We'll see you all again next time. Dos The kind folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks. 